John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello and welcome to a very special live preview for the Cinephiles. And when I say this is special, I mean I am sitting in the actual room with the great John Rocha. You have been allowed into the Outlaw Nation offices. Thank you so much for coming to San Diego. Of course, you didn't come just to see me. You saw a bunch of wild animals. You hung out with your family. But you also went to hang out one last time with this wild animal. And we're recording a live preview because... A number of our cinephiles, uh, uh, listeners, uh, patrons, fans, have asked us to talk about Batman Mask of the Phantasm because of the sad recent passing of Kevin Conroy, Steve. You know, it's so funny because there are all these debates about who is the best Batman, what is the best Batman movie, but it seems to me, based on just the very scientific survey of, you know, social media. <laughs> of course, yes. That Kevin Conroy is universally beloved. I know, it's fascinating. Do you have issues with the fact that he's the voice of Batman, but he's not actually the physical embodiment on camera, except for that one episode in a crossover CW series? Does that in any way for you hold your, uh, how can I say this, hold your approval of him being considered the best Batman? Are you who has introduced yourself regularly as a voiceover artist, asking me if I put the art of voiceover on a lower level No, no, from acting in general? No, because I've heard these rumblings from certain Batman fans who go, like, it doesn't count because he's not on camera, and that's what you really need to be. A Batman, get the voice right and be on camera. But I think that's sacrilege, don't you? I think that the anybody who starts their thing with, it doesn't count... <laughs> Kind of loses my interest. So you hate all the refs, is what you're saying. Uh, well, their that's job. a fair point. That's a fair point. I, okay, I agree with that. But what I mean is, is like celebrate the dude for what he did. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. what he did was, and and is it hard work? Absolutely. Does it bring all sorts of character? It right. totally does. Is it a different job from acting on camera? Yeah. 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 But that doesn't mean it's not. I mean, it's like 
I mean, I think there's a strong argument, although we've had a lot of great people performing the Joker. Yes. That Mark Hamill is easily, certainly in the top two. Yeah. And that that speaks volumes about uh, what Bruce Timm was able to do with this animated series. Yeah. And that's what's so fantastic about this film as well, because you get Mark Hamill, you get Kevin Conroy here. And this is, you know... A pretty dark film. This yeah. guy, this guy, the Phantasm, is killing mobsters, literally killing mobsters throughout Gotham. They think it's Batman because of the similar appearance, and they they even get so desperate they send the Joker after the Batman. How ironic is that to stop it from happening? And that becomes a whole thing. So this is such an interesting movie. One of the rare animated films that got a theatrical release. You know, people love Spider-Verse. This was before Spider-Verse and kind of broke the mold a little bit of animated films that were superhero-based that could be released theatrically. And many people consider this their favorite Batman film, which is really surprising. I'm really, really excited that we're going to be talking about this thing live because it's not just talking about the movie, but it's talking about literally this whole genre essentially invented by Bruce Timm and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours and episodes of television that really, really high quality. I agree. Well, before this becomes a short, we should wrap it up. Here's our preview. So when is it happening live, Steve? It is happening, John, this Sunday, the 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific time on our YouTube channel. Well, this is perfect because it's a holiday weekend now with people relaxing. I'm sure people are still going to be eating leftovers by the time Sunday comes around. And maybe they'll want a break from the family, from the friends, from all this stuff. And they want to come hang out with us live on the Cinephiles YouTube channel as we talk about Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Phantasm. And we hear from them what they think as well. Well, that's right. We want to join all of you in our community on our YouTube channel this Sunday on November 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific time on our YouTube channel. Can't wait to see you then. everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the cinephiles live here on the cinephiles youtube channel i am one half of the cinephiles the outlaw john roca joined by the man over there big batman lover and certainly uh kevin conroy lover as well steve morris how are you steve i'm doing really well i'm very sad about the reason that we're here but i'm very excited to be talking about what i think is a really great movie yeah, I know this is going to be an interesting conversation for sure because a lot of people consider this to be like the greatest Batman film ever made. Even uh, recently in 2022, Rolling Stone had this in the top 20 of their greatest superhero films ever made. It made the top 20. Screen Rant has called it the best Batman movie ever made. Paste has called it the best Batman movie ever made. And a number of other websites have given its love. As Siskel and Ebert regretted not seeing this in the theaters when it was hmm. theatrically released, watched it on home media and gave the film its flowers. So a lot of um, legacy and history here for this film that we're talking about in honor of the passing of the late, great Kevin Conroy. And that is Batman mask of the phantasm. So many people involved in this, Steve and names we've heard now that are household names, but in 1993, maybe not so much when this film came out. And by the way, we're just about 29 years to the day when this film was released. Wow. It was released on Christmas Day in 1993. So we're uh, next year, it will be the 30th anniversary of the film. On the 20th anniversary of the film, they brought back together Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, and Dana Delaney 
on the 25th anniversary of the film, they brought back a couple of the other uh, actors involved in this as well to do a whole thing. And they released it, Fathom Events did, for one night. They did mm. uh, out in theaters for people to enjoy. So um, uh, welcome to everybody who's joining us here in the Cinephiles uh, fandom. We have Cinephiles Universe. We appreciate it badly. But Steve, got to go to you. A, what's your feelings about the movie? As you just said, one of the greatest films ever made, in your opinion. Two, when did you first see the movie? Well, it's funny. I remember when the Batman animated series started right. and I was just out of college and I had it was the time it was one of those salad days where the gang all hung out to watch, <laughs> you know, to watch Star Trek and to watch geek the shows salad. and to watch. <laughs> and we and, and here we were a bunch of, you know, 22, 23 year old guys. Yeah, yeah. And we would watch every episode of the animated show because it was so damn good. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I saw it when it came out in the theater and I. I might not have seen it since. That's what's wow, really crazy. Yeah. Really? Yeah, because when you I watched consider it. Consider it's one of the greatest films ever made, or Batman films ever made? Well, I didn't consider it really. I, at the time I saw it, I loved it. And then I just didn't think about it very much. I know people would always mention it. But when I watched it yesterday and I watched it with my son, Jax, I watched yeah. it and I'm like, I don't remember this movie. You know, <laughs> I like had that. And, and it was, which was really great because. I mean, you know, you know, obviously you've watched a ton of movies. You think yeah. a lot about movies. And there's a lot of times we're watching movies where you go like, oh, I know where this is going. Right, right, right. And I was watching Mask of the Phantasm yesterday and went, I don't know where this is going. Like, yeah, I really didn't. That's one of the great gifts of the film. You got to give the credit to the two directors here. Eric, uh, Eric Radomski and, of course, Bruce Tim, the legendary Bruce Tim. Right. So involved with Batman, the animated series. This one was written by Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Martin Pascal, and Michael Reeves with the story by Alan Burnett. And originally, this film was supposed to be Batman being captured by the villains at Arkham and put on trial uh, and possibly convicted for being the reason why these all criminal these people became the criminals they became they were going to blame batman at the end or investigate or explore the fact that batman was the one that turned them into this which i thought which i when i read that i thought to myself that is effing groundbreaking for 1993 to have an animated film that actually explores one of the main characters if not the main character in the dc universe and goes into a psychological exploration about whether is it the chicken or the egg? Which came first? Did the villains pop up because the hero necessitated a counter uh, to exist in the universe? Or did they, the hero have to be created because the onslaught of villains was coming and there was something in the energy of the universe that caused him to come up? So very interesting story initially. And there, there are arguments back and forth about whether the Joker was originally involved in that plot and then was, and then was kept over. Some of the creators have said the Joker was never involved until they put it together for this new story that they released for Mask of the Phantasm. Other people say the Joker was involved from the original iteration of the script that I just mentioned to what it became here in this. So Alan Burnett said he did not want to go back to the rogues gallery of Batman. He wanted to give Batman a love story here. We see Dana Delaney voicing Andrea Beaumont. And this was so interesting, as you said. If you're watching this for the first time, there's some very interesting twists and turns. There's a strong female presence in this film who is not getting pushed around, who is not getting told what to do. She handles her business both when she's in love with Bruce and then later when we find out that she is the one behind the phantasm. So I was thinking to myself how some of the fanboys might be upset at seeing a female beating up the Joker so effectively 
when even the Batman has trouble with the Joker. I was just thinking how people might view it differently nowadays because we're so trained. Some people are so trained to see certain things where women are involved in a certain way. What did you take away from the overall story here and what's happening with the Batman is he's confronting this relationship with Andrea because we're seeing the back and forth, seeing flashbacks of him becoming the Batman and adding a wrinkle that maybe the end of the Andrea relationship is the thing that finally pushes him across the line to fully embrace becoming the Batman compared to the fact that Andrea took the loss of her father and became the Phantasm herself. It's so funny. I think they do this amazing magic trick yeah. Which is to take a character which, okay, at the time was, you know, 50 years old, or four, yeah, 40 years old, 50 right. years old, and to find a new piece of depth in the character. Yeah. And that flashback to that relationship, it completely works and it is completely new. It is a yeah. new aspect of the character. And it's funny, I'd seen as I was kind of doing a little bit of research, you know, that people were saying that there was some Citizen Kane inspiration yes. in terms of the making of this film. Yeah. And well, you know what I was thinking? I was like, man. Aunt Andrea is Rosebud. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, She's the lost thing from his past that once that thing went away, yeah. then there was nothing left but to become this horrible, amazing, powerful, sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really sad. It was, I felt so much pain for Bruce Wayne in a way that I don't think I ever had specifically before. I think 100% because you see from the way he's portrayed in the flashbacks, he is a guy struggling with the fact that he's been training to be a fighter, training to wreak vengeance on Gotham. And then he meets Andrea, who is also talking to a gravestone for yeah. her dead mother. And so there's a connective tissue. No one's going, Martha, why'd you say that name? But certainly the connective <laughs> tissues are there of a lost parent or parents in the graveyard. And that's how she first he first encounters her. And then where that goes, and they fall in love, and we cut to that scene later on in the film when he's in the rain, screaming at the headstone of his parents, saying, I didn't count on being happy. I didn't know this was going to happen, you know? And so he is caught up in the fervor of love, and it is so messing with his mind because he's been so dedicated to being this, uh, this uh, vigilante exacting vengeance for his parents that here comes love. Here comes, like the killing joke, here comes that moment where you can bring the madman back from the precipice precipice you can bring the vengeance seeker back from the precipice and both of them turn it down in critical times in their lives and andrea does the same thing and you can argue steve bruce is andrea's uh rosebud because after she loses bruce eventually her father dies and the fact that she mentions the whole time when she's there at the end arguing with the joker and argue with bruce like they took you away from me they took you so in her mind, her life would have been different if she'd been able to stay with Bruce as well. And she becomes the phantasm. So very interesting moments where people choose um, what to become because of a barrier being removed or some trauma involved with that barrier being removed, allowing them to go become this thing. It, it, it's so true. And the fact that they're, they parallel each other so well and they're really treated as equals is kind of an amazing yeah. thing. And, th and this is the thing too, is that in my mind, once the parents get killed, yeah, Bruce Wayne is on his path, right? And that is he is the solidly I'm obsessed with doing this thing, and every part of his life is dedicated to doing this thing, right? And this change, like normally we go like, oh, don't mess with my characters, man. Don't change, don't change the characters. You know that they're really, you know, we get really upset if people yeah. mess around. This change informs that in such a great way and makes it better and it goes no there was a moment 
there was a moment that he yeah. almost didn't become Batman. And that I didn't count on being happy. That scene is so powerful. And, you know, we're here talking about Kevin Conroy, like his performance. And he does such a great job, not just at the two voices between Batman and Bruce Wayne, right. but also the mature Bruce Wayne versus the young Bruce Wayne yeah. who's in love. Yeah. You know, and that moment, I, I, I really was rooting for him yeah. to not become Batman, which is a crazy thing because Batman is one of my favorite characters. And I also had this moment of like going, He's asking his dead parents if it's okay to get out of the vow that he made to his dead yeah. parents. It's like, they didn't make you do this, man. They didn't, like, if, if they were alive, they would say, Bruce, don't do this. You know how they talk about neo-Westerns as analyzing or commentating on the genre of the Western? Sure. It almost seems like this film is a little bit of a neo-superhero film because the characters question Batman. They question Bruce's intentions. Bruce himself questions. I mean, there's that moment we has with Alfred when he yells at Alfred and says, you think you know who I am? He's like, I diapered your bottom. Of course I know who you are. Yeah. Oh, you're wrong about me. You don't know everything about me. They kind of push back and rebellion. And even Andrea has that moment when she says to Bruce the, or Batman, the only one who's still hung up on, the, on their parents or letting their parents tell them what to do is you. So yeah. really, these shots are taken in ways that I don't think we had seen in Batman. I mean, Dark Knight Returns certainly had come in the comic book form, but this kind of uh, medium, to see this medium expose some of the uh, holes or the vulnerabilities of Bruce Wayne and Batman here and the life that he chose to pursue uh, was so surprising to see in this film, for sure. Every time I see the film, I'm very surprised at how cutting edge it still kind of is in certain ways and how it commentates on Bruce Wayne's decision. Cause even nowadays people are like, what, what couldn't he get over the death of his parents? I mean, talk about carrying around your trauma, dude. You know, there's all kinds of criticisms with Batman being lobbied against him in, in ways that they weren't quite as much in the times past. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, I, I really think for me, yeah. Batman remains the greatest comic book superhero character. Mm. You know, like I grew up on Superman. Superman was yeah. my guy, but I don't think Superman is is the character. But there's a reason we keep coming back to Batman so often. You know, and and certainly Spider Man and Wolverine. Those are you know some of there there are a lot oh, yeah, of sure. great characters. But I think part part of the thing that we miss is that uh, is that Batman is treated mostly as man. This is a guy who's got it all together. He is the toughest, smartest. Yeah. He is a guy who's super competent at everything he does, which right. is true. But what we don't talk about, which I think this movie really points out, is this is a really messed up, sad guy. Yeah, you know, this is a only a crazy person puts on a bad outfit and goes to fight crime. Like this is a person who is trapped in this moment of grief yeah. and he can't escape it. And it's it's that causes him to be so driven, which is what causes him to be so competent and so amazing. But the core of it is deep, 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 undealt with trauma, you know? Well, and that's always been the irony of Batman, right? Is this trauma is what motivated him to become what he became. Yet he goes after people whose trauma motivated them to become yeah. the things that they became. Yet he's not willing to deal with his trauma, but he wants everyone else to deal with or other villains to deal with their trauma so they can be better people. But you could argue that his pursuit of his trauma or his inability to let go of this trauma corrodes him from the inside out in terms of, as you said, you were so hoping he wouldn't make this decision to become Batman because you know the amount of pain and sadness and loneliness and um, failed uh, romances or relationships, death of wards that is coming in his life because he chooses this path. You know, as, mu as much as you may love Batman, which I know you do, Steve, and I do too, 
you also know that there's a weight that goes with becoming Batman that you wouldn't want to wish on anybody. But by, by the way, can we take a moment to? It's yeah. <laughs> a conversation I've always wanted to have, and now sure. you've given me the opportunity to have it, which is that I love Alfred. Alfred's yeah, a great sure. character, one of the great sort of supporting characters in all of comic books. I got a real problem with Alfred. <laughs> like, okay. if you think about, like, okay, here's this kid that had this horrible tragedy who yes. says, I'm going to go and fight crime and I'm just going to swear to do this thing. And Alfred, the adult who is the guardian, goes, Yeah, okay. Instead of going, You know what? We really should get you some help. And maybe we should steer you away from this horrible thing. I think he is a terrible, terrible guardian. Like, this is a child. Ch children in grief don't actually get to pick their life's journey at that moment. They should be an adult to say, hey, hold on. Slow down, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I hear your point. But I would, <laughs> I would counter a little bit and say, A, it wasn't his actual blood. So maybe there's a little bit of feeling of hesitancy to try to inflict his opinions on it also alfred if we were if we know the stories of alfred we if we sure. accept the canon of him being a secret service guy this is a tough guy who's not going to really be like go to therapy that's not really <laughs> in the vocabulary of dudes from back then not that some dudes didn't have that impulse who were just as tough as alfred but certainly not in the vocabulary there and steve you're you know this yourself as a dad Sometimes you can't steer your kid away from where they're going or where they what they want to do. As much I'm as trying, you, I'm <laughs> doing my best. I'm kidding, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> parents who are listening or watching, they know is you may want to steer your child away from that, but that may almost makes them want to go to it all the more harder or, or yeah. with much more determination. So I'm sure Alfred tried. I'm sure Alfred tried to make he made commentary and his passive aggressive comments through the years yeah. after he becomes a Batman or certainly his uh, sure. uh, moments to take shots at it but i hear you it is you wish he would have a stronger hand to keep batman <laughs> from becoming or bruce wayne from becoming batman yeah um what did you think about and by the way there's some great uh, uh little tidbits about hans zimmer plays the synthesizer on the score of the film oh wow so it's just, that's just, this is how far back we're going with how many wow. people were involved with all of this and what did you think about how the uh, the way the Joker is weaved into this? Because we've talked about Andrea, and then it was her dad, and she's doing this for the vengeance because her father was killed. But the Joker is a hood in this, as we've seen in other iterations of the Joker. He's not like we saw in The Killing Joke, a failed comedian who gets caught up in this. This is a low-level hood, kind of like Napier in yeah. 1989's Batman. So what did you think about that twist here? Seeing yet what what a uh, yeah third fourth person who's not able to turn away from the trauma there I guess. So first of all, Mark Hamill is awesome. Yes, he is. Oh Everything he does is great. I I think the performance is great. I find the Joker is the one thing that feels a little weird. Wow. To me. Yeah. Okay. I think it's all done really, really, really well. It's you not it throws off the rhythm of the film. Yeah, a little bit okay. to me, and part and part of it is like I don't. I my feeling is that we about the joker is that we should always actually be really careful about origin stories with the joker yeah you know what i mean and so like the i, I love the killing joke i it, it's maybe a little more problematic now than of it course, was yeah. sure 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 i hate i have seen the killing joke movie that they made which i yeah. think is terrible because i think they messed the whole thing up in all sorts of weird ways yeah. but um i i and that origin story works as an origin for the joker this origin story for the joker or background didn't doesn't work as well for me okay which is why you know what i mean like wrapping him in as a plot point felt yeah. weird right. everything the joker does and all the scenes with him are great 
I think that's an excellent point, Steve. He's too big of a character to not explore in flashbacks his back, how he became the Joker, because we don't really see that. Now, I don't know if they had addressed that in the first season of the Batman series, because this is after, I think, the first season of the Batman series. And so I don't know if they had shown that and addressed that. So maybe people who had seen the series already knew that this person was the Joker. But uh, we don't know. We didn't get a chance to see it. But I think it would have been good, because this was the first theatrical released uh, animated feature uh, from Warner Brothers DC animation, or from Warner Brothers DC side of things. It would have been nice to see a little flashback or a little, and it wasn't like they didn't have time. The film was only an hour and 15 minutes. So they certainly had time to maybe add a scene or two of uh, Joker in the in, in flashback. Now, I say they had time. By that, I mean you, they're, they're, it wasn't an overly long film. But right. that being said, this was an incredibly tight production process. Steve, it was out in eight months. It wow. only animated films take anywhere from two to four years this took eight months warner brothers wanted to release it theatrically they did a terrible job promoting it i remember when this film came out i remember that the promotion was kind of here and there wasn't really that strong uh and i didn't know what to think of it like i was like, what is this what is this all what is this and so i remember that and because i hadn't seen the series so i was like why are they releasing oh, yeah. a batman film so that's when you saw that they do that they did it so quickly um over eight months so you you've been involved in post-production stuff you've been on production stuff. like the idea of an animated film in eight months is insane well I, I of course i've never been involved although i've written a couple of animated episodes of tv for right. some of our friends uh i've never really been involved on the animation side but it is really fast but you have to keep in mind that this is out of their tv department and You're their right. tv department is used to putting out you know a half hour episode every week Right. So may they have all the people in place that all oh, they don't have to design new backgrounds. They don't have to do any new character design. It's so I, I but it is still a really fast process yeah. for a really tight film. And one of the things that I was thinking, like, like you asked at the beginning, and I never really answered the question of how do I feel about this film and these claims yeah. that it might be the best Batman movie ever made. Here's what I think is I think it is the tightest Batman film ever made, ever oh, made. Wow. And I think there are other Batman movies that where the highs are much higher. Yeah. But I don't think there's a Batman movie that is as consistently good front to end, top to bottom. It is a, in particularly in terms of a story, because like when you have the, yeah, you know, right. e, e, you know, even things like um, the dark Knight, which is great. Heath Ledger is amazing yeah, off yeah, the yeah. charts. Incredible. Yeah. Does the movie hold up all moment to moment perfectly? I don't think it does. I think yeah. when we go off to Hong Kong and stuff like that, it's sort of like, well, what's happening in this movie? Right. And, yeah. and the other thing I think is that what makes this movie work so well is not spectacle. It's not amazing, huge action scenes because it's a small movie. Yeah. What makes it work so well is that the story is so fucking tight. Yeah. Emotionally, it works really, really well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Steve, like weaving in flashbacks in a movie can be a minefield, can be very dangerous, can be a crutch, can be something that distracts the audience or lets them disappear into a time and you yanking them back into the present time. It it takes too long to get back refocused, then you're yanking them back. You can lose an audience doing flashbacks. That's why Godfather Part Two deserves so much credit for being able to exist into both time periods and tell two very comprehensive stories going on there in this situation. I think you're absolutely right. The tightness 
of these of this back and forth is so good that you are never like just lost in one time. You're enjoying it, and then you're making the connections to what you've just seen in the present time in the movie, which I think is really well done. You know, and I, I appreciated that. Um, let's move on to the voiceover acting. What did you think of? Obviously, Kevin Conroy is fantastic, and as you mentioned, Mark Hamill was incredible, and James Petty telling us. Mark Hamill tells a story of how he went to see it with his family and they were the only people wow. in the theater watching the movie that tells you what happened. And of course, it made its money later because it made what 5.6 million in the theaters. It was made for 6 million. Uh, so even if you add in the, uh, you know, uh, two times and a half or whatever they're supposed to do, the, when it got to home video, that's where it really blew up right. it made its money and it's been fine ever since. But what did you think of the voiceover acting? We have a young Dana Delaney here in 1990. This is her decade, the 90s with yeah. Dana Delaney. You've also got Hark Bachner, who is, of course, a uh, homie from Die Hard there. Uh, he's doing the voice of the of the councilman. You've got Abe Vigoda still kicking it uh, in this film. You've got your, your friend Stacey Keach, who you've directed yeah. as the voice of Andrea Beaumont's father. Uh, and assorted other uh, character actors involved and voiceover actors involved. So what do you think about the work being done by some of these actors in this movie? It's a bunch of pros, man. It's, it's, <laughs> these are, these are, these are good voices. I mean, I, you know, just like the Abe Vigoda of it all. I mean, like, <laughs> he's so great. It's yeah. so perfect. Um, and then uh, obviously, you know, I love Stacy Keach. Mm. I, I won't say that Stacy gives an amazing performance or anything, but there's never a moment where it's not a hundred percent there. Yeah. And, right. And, and Dana Delaney st almost steals the show. Yeah. She's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just from that first moment in the very first scene where they meet and she is flirty and sarcastic and is obviously cutting through Bruce Wayne and, yeah. and you can see, you know, and this is, you know, we, we talked about this before. We we just talked about it. We were just talking about, Oh, I, maybe it was in um, Goodwill hunting. Where we were talking about, love and how you do love quickly and relationships quickly and set them up is that from the first scene yeah. i understand this relationship you know what i mean yeah. i understand why he's attracted to her i understand some of the dynamics of the relationship i understand that she sees through him on a lot of different levels yeah. that she is a match for him like all that stuff and all of it is dependent on the voiceover i mean it's just you can't yeah. do it without her yeah, I'm really, I was really, because I'm not always like, because obviously I didn't like her in Tombstone, but I know she was great in China Beach and assorted other other shows. And she's, she's in the new um, uh, show that's coming up, I think 1883 or 1923. 1923, the new one coming up with her. Mm -hmm. I think she, no, no, sorry, she's in Tulsa King, this is Stallone. Oh, it's Stallone. It's out now. Yeah, that's right, with the new episode that dropped tonight. So she's a part of that. So still doing her thing, Dana Delaney, as an actress and certainly has been involved in numerous other projects throughout. But here there's a there's a youth to that voice that works really well. You talk about Conroy playing the young Batman, her young Andrea versus her older Andrea. You can see the difference. Yeah. It's just a little adjustment in the vocal cords, a little adjustment in the performance. And it's there and it hits perfectly. And I really enjoy that. Hamill is just stellar from top to bottom. Uh, Efren Zimbalist Jr., uh, of course, is the voice of Alfred as he was in the series. That's a guy I he was old when I was growing up, you know, and so <laughs> seeing I saw him on the love boat and a sort of sure. one offs and murder. She wrote it, but, but seeing him in or hearing his voice rather as Alfred, I thought was fantastic. And I thought Hart Bachner did a really nice job as uh, as the ski as the skeevy councilman who turns 
uh, Andrea's father into uh, into the the mob there. I thought he did a great job with that character as it went along throughout the movie as well. So yeah, I totally yeah I totally agree about him, and I think he manages to play a skeevy character as you described. Yeah, that isn't the same skeevy character as Die Hard. Yeah, you know what I, I mean. He yeah. is a different kind of privileged jerk. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's funny, and and I gotta say, when we got him, you know, with the Joker laughing gas in the yeah. hospital room. I felt really, really terrible for him. Yeah. It was a rough scene. Yeah. What'd you think about the animated action sequences that we got throughout the movie? Certainly there were a number of fights with the Phantasm killing these mob bosses, but also the fight that Bruce Wayne has and with Andrea by his side there when they're, when he's fighting off those uh, hooligans on the, on the motorcycles and, uh, and what have you. And then of course the fight with the Joker and, uh, Phantasm all through the uh, all through the uh, abandoned theme park. There, what did you think of all those action sequences? And of course, ending up uh, with uh, Joker and Batman fighting like Godzilla and King Kong through the through the city. What did you think of all that? I think they're really well done. First of all, they have lots of good ideas to them. They mm -hmm. don't have the money or the scale to right. like do some gigantic thing. But like you've got, the, I I know for certain they were watching Raiders of the Lost Ark when they did that <laughs> truck chase. I mean, it was really obvious, but they did a really good job with it. And they also did a really good job both with that fight scene and the first one with Andrea watching of oh, yeah. showing that he has skills. Yes. But he is not there yet. You know, and, oh, yeah. and, and in particular in the moment with the Andrea fight is that he's doing, first of all, I'm stressed because I don't know for sure that he's going to kick ass. Right, right. And second of all, that moment, he's taking out the one guy on one motorcycle yeah. and then the other guy with the baseball bat is coming towards him and you see his eyes flick to her. Yeah. In that moment of distraction, you go like, oh no, her being there and his relationship to her has caused him to make a, a, a terrible blunder and he's yeah. going to lose, you know? I think you can go both ways with that. Either that he made the blunder or he didn't want to get found out as that, that he's Batman. And so he willingly mm. took the took the bat to the chest or stomach to kind of throw off Andrea from thinking he might be the Batman because he's not ready to come out yet. Because we do see him in those flashbacks talking, the plan is going well when he's wrapped up and he's not, fully batman yet he's being a vigilante yeah. so i think maybe she he might have been afraid that she would figure it out because she's an intelligent woman that she might figure it out uh and what have you so um let's take a break real quick because we've got a stream lab that's come through here from mike uh, shea uh he says i feel like this movie laid the early groundwork for the modern take on comic book movies focusing on just making a good movie first decorating it with comic book sprinkles afterwards yeah what do you think about that steve do you agree i think that's a good statement and in particular it's focusing on character like mm -hmm. what marvel has done well that dc has sometimes done okay and sometimes done less well is really understanding the journey of the main character and what that's about yeah you know it's this thing that we that i brought up when we talked about the avengers of story versus plot yeah. is that the story here is what pulls you along is Batman falls in love before he becomes Batman. He has one moment of turning the path the other way and what the consequences of all that is and what her evolution as a character is and how their relationship evolves. Yeah. All that stuff is what's making the movie work. And then you place the plot on top of that. Yeah. And the plot is perfectly connected to the story because it's her father and it's you know, all that stuff. So I think it works. That's what makes it work really, really well is mm -hmm. that understanding of the characters. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point, Mike, as well. And, and you know, considering this was the first Warner Brothers theatrically released animated superhero film that they did, um, it kind of had to set the bar. And even with the rapid production time, with the 
probably insane hours. They probably had to work to put this thing out. Uh, the fact that they were able to, able to clear the bar as high as they did or, or set the bar as high as they did speaks volumes about how this film, how great this film actually was. And the fact that it still endures all these decades later, it is still considered by many to be the greatest, if not, uh, sorry, one of the greatest, if not the greatest Batman film ever made. And it's, I think, because of what you point out here, Mike, they focus on the story first, making a good movie first, then add the comic book tropes or the comic book moments or whatever, which are not that overt in this no. movie. They're much more subtle than you've seen in other films. There's, there's no like Batman standing. Da -da 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 -da. Like it's different uh, situations here that you see or different shots rather that you see where you're not necessarily seeing that heroic comic book cliche uh, shot that you would see in films uh, after this one. You know what occurs to me is we, yeah. we talk so much today about this idea of fan service and yeah. the, the, yeah. that we're going to throw a bone towards the fans. It, I just realized that in 93, when this came out, you didn't have to do fan service because the movie itself was fan service. Yeah. Right. Just the fact that we were getting anything yeah. was as, as the fans, the hardcore fans who were those nerdy people that went to the comic book store and had a bag where our special books were the fact that there was a Batman movie on the big screen, yeah. that was enough. And now that there is, everybody is going to see the superhero movies. Yeah. They feel the need to throw the bone to the super fans. And frequently those bones sort of fall flat. I think I've mixed my metaphors a bit, but, but yeah. like the, the, the effort to do that, that's not connected to the story or doing other heavy lifting. Like this is the thing, you know, I know you guys talked on the geek buddies about, about black Panther, about Wakanda forever Yeah, is which a movie, which I really, really liked and had me crying multiple times. Yeah. There was also moments of like, you could see, Oh, we have to do this heavy lifting for the Marvel yeah. universe. Yeah. we got to get this character out and we have to introduce this idea and we have to have this thing. That doesn't exist in this movie. No, there's nothing. This movie is about just telling this story. It doesn't have to do anything else. Yeah, and I think that goes down. That credit goes to Alan Burnett for that because Al, you know, it's been reported, and I've read a number of articles getting ready for the show that he was the one that said it. I don't. I didn't want it to be in the with the Rogues Gallery of the Batman villains. Yes, the Joker shows up, but it's only near the back half, and it's not really the central point of the movie. I wanted it to be something else, a love story, something we hadn't seen before which I mentioned earlier. And I think if Burnett doesn't go this route, this is just another one of those animated films that you can put in with good animated films that WBDC have put out, of course, uh, but not one that necessarily stands out on its own. And I think having this relationship, and she, it isn't a Vicky Vale relationship. This Andrea no. stands on her own. She beats him at jujitsu so, so much so that he has to knock her down to kind of reclaim a little bit of uh, status in this, in their relationship when she walks in on him uh, out in the backyard doing his jujitsu. So you, she is every bit his equal in every way, shape, or form. And even having the mysterious ending there, wondering if she lives or dies, I think is great. You know, with the, with the having the pendant there, all of that is, uh, is fantastic. And I think that is a really good part of, that's a really big reason, right, of why I think this movie still resonates with people and still works as much as it does. I do have one small quibble, which sure. is that when uh, when she shows up and he's practicing martial arts, he's clearly not practicing jujitsu. That is totally karate. <laughs> Her throw maybe is jujitsu, but that was not jujitsu. Jujitsu. Uh, those. The, he's like doing your most basic like Shotokan karate form. Okay. Um, that's just me. That's just wow. me. 
I'm sure none of those guys knew jujitsu. I'm going to go out on a limb and claim that none of those guys knew jujitsu. None of the animators to be able to be like, oh, yeah, no, totally. It's a jujitsu move. I don't know. I don't know, though. I don't well, there is a strange, it's funny, there is this most uh, comic book people and animators are nerdy people, but there is a strange crossover of martial arts and nerds of which right. you know some of the people that that, that do that you know i do you're right that work in comic books yeah you're absolutely right 100 yep. um another little fun tidbit just to throw in real quick um hazel who is who we see is the automated maid oh yeah was, uh, named for shirley booth's character who pl- she played hazel in the old tv series from back in the 50s and 60s of course and oh. uh, shirley booth who won an oscar um uh, in her work in her years back in the 1950s i think um her she was she was the motivation for that just as you mentioned uh, the citizen kane feeling of the flashbacks mm-hmm. which is correct it absolutely feels that way when you're watching it uh the noirish aspects the large buildings that kind of stuff all of it lends itself to feeling like citizen kane there's also some nice little moments here with uh, that are allusions to things from the past as well there's even when they're fighting on uh, the cityscape there, Joker and Batman, there's even a WB logo that's yeah. on one of the buildings, which I thought was really funny, almost like a, a signature almost yeah. on, on the film, which I thought was interesting. Um, uh, yeah, wait, wait. I was just going to say, I don't know the answer to this, but the the scene of them fighting like Godzilla throughout yeah. the, the so model cool. Gotham is so brilliant on so many levels. A, it's just a really cool idea. And so it it adds a different visual element to it. I love the fact that they're in the amusement park, which is to some degree an homage to Killing Joke as well. Oh, true. Very true. Yes. But but the other thing about it is that my guess is they save money because those are probably the real models and backgrounds that they use for Gotham that they just changed the scale in order to use them for this. I don't know for a fact that that's the case, but it just seems like a really cool way to repurpose something that's already been designed that's true and they claim that it's a it was an homage to a mainstay of batman comic books of the dick sprang era mm. often featuring the hero fighting against a backdrop of gigantic props uh, yeah. and they would later do an homage to sprang's works in the new batman adventures episode legends of the dark knight so certainly had that uh, certainly had some nice allusions to things and references to things certainly the phantasm um the ghost of Christmas yet to come was the inspiration uh, for the phantasm and that approach too. So uh, very interesting designs that could have shades of Batman to it, but also be its own thing, which of course is uh, a nice way to connect Andrea and Bruce who Andrea by going with the phantasm, right? Has shades of Batman, but in a different way. One of the things I really like, by the way, uh, is that when she finds out, that he's batman and when she rescues him and all that stuff there's never a like shock or surprise or we don't play that it's just of course you're batman you know like you know you know she knows yeah yeah you love that i think again it's one of those things that really speaks volumes about the construction of the story and the characters and the script to make that all happen um what about shirley walker's score uh she was she was the uh, composer for this uh, film she was also the main composer for the animated series um uh, she explained that the latin lyrics that are used in the main title were actually the names of key warner brothers staff read backwards <laughs> which i think is really funny and the song at the end was written by saida garrett who had a, who had a song with um oh say oh with michael jackson they had a duet her, her and michael jackson back right near the tail end of michael jackson's popularity Glenn Ballard also wrote on it. I think Glenn Ballard was the gentleman who produced Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. 
So some people involved here. And uh, the song was performed, though, by Tia Carrera, who is the daughter of Barbara Carrera, Bond girl Barbara Carrera, but, of course, the actress in Wayne's World and numerous other uh, films. It was recently in the Joe Coy film, uh, Easter Sunday. So Hmm. she's still around doing her thing. So that song sounded very much like a 1990s song uh, for real. I, I think the score is great. There's there's no better way to make a smaller film look bigger than the right yeah. score. And that that score, A, you can feel the connection to Danny Elfman and yeah. to the oh, 89 sure. Batman. The choral moments really made me think of, you know, of Phantom Menace and like, the, yeah. the, you know, like that sort of battling. I think the score top to bottom is great. And now that I know all the great people, including Hans Zimmer working on it, it's kind of not surprising. I mean, it yeah. is a really solid score. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, let me see uh, the the um, positive reviews over. There were positive reviews overall for the movie. It sits at eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now, with an average of about seven point two out of ten. But it wasn't. You know, it isn't universally beloved. Stephen Holden of the New York Times thought the voice performances were quote flat, one dimensional. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, he oh Chris Her- Her- uh, Chris Hicks of the desert news felt the picture didn't come alive until the third act and that Mark Hamill's Joker stole the show, but that's always the complaint, isn't it? Like a lot of people feel like dark Knight isn't really a Batman film. It's a Joker film with Batman get, uh, doing a guest star in it. Um, you know, and that's the, that's the pair uh, peril of putting Joker in a Batman movie. And it may be why Alan Burnett initially resisted the idea of putting the Joker in the movie, uh, Leonard Acclady of Variety had mixed reactions. Uh, it gave the review a negative review. He said it was a bit cliched and the animation to the point of self-parody. Uh, but uh, but as I said, Wired Scott Throw called Kevin Conroy the finest Batman on record in 2009. IGN made Mask of the Phantasm the 25th best animated film of all time, not just superhero animated film of all time. Uh, also, a total film, uh, the British magazine there for film. Named Mask of the Phantasm is one of the greatest anim- animated films of all time. Time ranked Mask of the Phantasm as one of the top 10 best superhero films ever made in 2011. That's only 11 years ago. And in 2017, Screen Rant named the film the best uh, Batman movie of all time. Paste called it the greatest Batman movie of all time. And Empire named Mask of the Phantasm the best Batman movie of all time as well. And I mentioned the Rolling Stone ranking already earlier today. And... Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves have spoken about how Mask of the Phantasm influenced or was an element to influence what Robert Pattinson was doing in The Batman, the kind of um, exploration of the inner bubble of the Batman and the way he sees the world and and how it's hard to pierce through that bubble to get him to see how his pursuit of vengeance can be a pursuit that leads to darkness, not to light. And he had to learn that lesson in The Batman, just as Batman says to Andrea – turn away from this you know vengeance i don't want it to do to you i don't want it to do something to you your pursuit of vengeance you know okay lock to address here go ahead (laughs) so so first of all going back to the dude that said uh the voice performances were flat hang up your hang up your coat leave the office you've lost your critic cred as far as i'm concerned (laughs) wow does does the joker steal the show this is the only joker in the terms of Batman movies, that doesn't. Yeah, right. You know, like, I mean, whether it's Jack Nicholson or Heath Ledger, like, yeah, those guys steal the show. This yeah. time, Mark Hamill's great, yeah. but I don't walk away thinking about the Joker. 
I walk away thinking about Batman and Andrea. I think you're 100% right. I don't think about the Joker when I leave this movie. Yeah, you're yeah, right. He's good top to bottom, of course. Yeah. But that that is not what it's about. Like, as far as um, the the whether or not how you feel about this movie, let me ask you this question. Hmm. What is the most emotionally moved you've been by the character of Batman in a Batman movie? Not by other elements oh, in the Batman point. movie. This This might be it. This might be the one that does kind of get me emotionally uh, in the feels um, of all the Batman movies. That's a fair point, actually. I think it is 100%. It's not that, like, when Batman is rushing to save, uh, what's her name, in Dark Knight. Yeah, and yeah. He doesn't know if he's going to, to save uh, uh, Arthur Dent or save her. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was, I was emotionally involved in that. But in general, we feel kind of distant from Batman. He's a yeah. tough character to get emotionally connected with in a in a human way. Yeah, I agree. This movie succeeds in doing that. This movie gets me totally emotionally invested in Bruce Wayne and his journey yeah. and the sadness and the choices that he's made. Yeah. Um, and I also think like going to uh, a lot of those sort of criticisms sounds like, you know, like, oh, the, it looks like an imitation of itself or the animation yeah. is. It's like it is what it is. Could be older critics who are yeah. weren't necessarily into the animated superhero stuff. Remember the animated stuff or the superhero stuff in the early nineties does not have anywhere near the kind of prestige or attention on it that the fi superhero films have now. So I think this was one of those is the word nascent nascent. I can't remember what nascent word. nascent, one of the nascent kind of moments of the superhero genre becoming this thing that it would become 15 years later, uh, starting with 2008's Iron Man. So this is just kind of that shot across the bow type of thing. And remember, these are the same critics of probably four years earlier complaining about Steve uh, uh, Spike Lee's do the right thing. You know, it's too, it's too divisive. It's too aggressive and violent. It's causing, you know, writing in the streets, that kind of thing. So it's just uh, critics. I think you should uh, respect critics, read critics, find the ones that actually do good analysis, back up their analysis. Those are the ones you want to listen to overall. But sometimes, yeah, critics can be out of touch. Critics can be just old fuddy-duddies. Uh, and that's uh, what you'll get in a review sometimes because they're being honest from their own experience, which I'd rather see than a critic who's trying to sure. fake being into this thing just to keep their job. But but then I don't know. I, I agree with you, of course. And be, of course, I think the critics should be honest and speak yeah. what they feel. But there also should be a like, uh, you know, what we talked about this before the cinephiles of that's not my movie. Yeah, yeah. that's not my movie doesn't mean I think the movie's bad. It means hey, I'm not into that thing. Right. If you're not into animation or if you're not into comic books or superhero stories, then maybe don't review it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fair point. Like. I guess it goes to the, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, which of course isn't an option for a reviewer. Um, the, the other thing I'd go is that this, this movie is directed directly at sort of my aesthetic, not aesthetic's yeah. not the right word, my priorities. I'm a, anyone who's listened to the show knows I'm a story guy first and foremost. Yeah, That is what I care about is I care about the characters and the journey they're going on. And I can be impressed with spectacle. And certainly if I'm going to see an action film, I want to see great action. But I think... Far too often, there is too much attention paid to how are we going to top last year's 
superhero movie mm. with bigger special effects, more impressive action sequences, more spectacle, more, 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 yeah. and not how are we going to top last time's movie with more emotion, more human oh. character, more story, more conflict, sure. more of that stuff. That's what I'm actually going to see the movie for. It's funny you bring that up because I saw a fantastic mocked up poster over the weekend or this weekend, I guess, for um, Avengers uh, Kang Dynasty. And someone mm. put all the current MCU characters in there, the new ones that have all come on over the last few years uh, and mixed in with the old ones that are still around, Robbie. Uh, uh, right. And and said in, uh, on there, um, oh, my God, I can't wait. Imagine this film. And it was none of the emotions of a story are portrayed in that poster. It was about all these characters being in that movie. Right. Yeah. And so you're right. I mean, there, the, that's the thing that you come back to is like, is the story going to work? That's always the number one thing. Is that the thing that's going to, and I think that's the big reason why um, the superhero genre has succeeded as much as it does. Cause at its core level, there is a story they're telling with emotions and feelings and, Uh, arcs and journeys that these characters are going on are they always effective no but the effort is being put there because they know that's the foundational tentpole in the ground and all the superhero stuff will come from that as mike shea er said earlier very astutely with his stream lab that this batman mask of the phantasm kind of laid the groundwork for how to create a good superhero movie live action or animated or good movie period live action or animated you know what I think? I think the knock on superhero stuff on comic books when yeah, we were coming up yeah. was yeah. that they were dumb kid stuff. They were only about people in silly costumes right. and big muscles right. and women in sexy outfits and having big fights. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and and certainly to some degree, there were a lot of comic books that were just that. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I think the reason it's funny, you and I talked about it years ago is like I, I had this moment in the mid 80s where i was probably just starting to grow out of comics right and then frank miller's dark knight returns and alan moore and those comics came along and just when i thought i was out they pulled <laughs> me back in and what were those things those were things where they were intelligent they were emotional they had ideas challenging and so and, and, and that is why comic books rose. That's why there was a Tim Burton Batman in 89, because there was Frank Miller in 85 or 86, whatever year it was. And so those things are what inspired us to get to Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, and, and I think when when the X-Men movie came out and when the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies came out, they, they were still trying, they were trying to do that stuff that's good. And I think when the good superhero movies happen today, they're holding on to those things that are intelligent and challenging and character driven and really interesting. And when the bad ones come out, they are referring back to people in costumes with big action sequences and big muscles. And that's what it is. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what we're coming to see, which it isn't what we're coming to see, right. you know? No, those days are done pretty, pretty much for the most part. Uh, let me hit, uh, let's hit some of these Streamlabs and Super Chats, Steve. We had a stream, our Super Chat come through here from JMB. Always good to see JMB. He says, a day with a live stream of the Outlaw and Steve always makes for a great day. Thanks for this show. R.I.P. Kevin. Yeah, and, and before we wrap up, Steve, I'm, we're going to get our into our thoughts on Kevin Conroy for sure, as he is the motivational tissue for why we're doing what we're doing. Um, yeah, let me hit some of these Streamlabs and get your thoughts on these. Fantastic. Says, hey, Stephen John, happy to give support for this review. Thank you. We appreciate that. 
Batman Mask of the Phantasm was surprisingly good, especially because it's a story with two villains and doesn't trip over itself. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. What's your comments on that, Steve? I think they do because anytime, and of course, we're hearing this for other movies that are coming out of multiple villains, and multiple villains was like the death knell of of superhero movies for a while, particularly yeah. with those multi-villain Batman movies and and, and the Spider-Man 3 and stuff like that. Right. Um, so I think they did a beautiful job and they did some beautiful twists in the way that it was handled. Yeah. And the final confrontation with the three of them, I think is handled really, really well. Well, I think it's smart because A, you don't need to lay the groundwork for the Joker. You you When you realize who the Joker is later on in the movie, you've already seen him so you can make those connections, and that does the work for you. You have yeah. to spend time with Andrea. Spend time with this relationship. Spend time with the tragedy of the loss of this relationship So that, and, and her connection to her father. I mean, those scenes with her and Stacy, when he's like, you got to get out. We got to get leave for Europe yeah. tonight. And she talks about going all over Europe and hiding until Joker, before he becomes the Joker, shows up and essentially kills her father. So uh, there's that. So you've laid that groundwork. The Joker can just show up and be the villain that he is because of other groundwork you've done in the series or other groundwork you've done in the comics. So it's a smart way to use the two villain story um, in a way that, that weaves itself very organically and seamlessly uh, um, into the film for sure. Um, uh, uh, Carrie Fields says, I saw this movie on January 1st, 1994 in a packed theater just outside of DC. I thought it was going to be a hit. Yeah. Well, it should have been. I mean, yeah. it really should have been. I don't um, think the public was ready. I, I just don't think they were ready. And neither was the comic book going movie public. I don't think they were a comic book loving public. I don't know if they were ready for an animated film because there was that feeling, Steve, I think, amongst some of the animated, some of the comic book lovers that, oh, animated stuff is for kids. I'm not going to go see that. Yeah, of course. But of course, now you can look at that movie. The movie's very adult in its themes. Uh, oh, yeah. Mask of the Phantasm, and that, that also is a reason why it stands out. Um, by the way, one thing that I, I I love, you know, we talked about, you mentioned a while ago about giving things to the comic book fans and yeah. and, and and moving some of that for all of the references to things like Batman Year One, just yes. little tidbits, like when he's debating about maybe I don't want to be Batman and they're not afraid of me, he's in front of the window, right. which is where the bat crashes through the window in Batman Year One, and it's and yet they don't go there, so it's right. it's it's reminding you who know about this thing, but it doesn't detract from yeah. anyone who doesn't know that stuff. There's a lot of little things like that, that I really, really love. Yeah. There are shades of Batman year one. There are also a real big uh, strokes of Batman year two. In yeah, this absolutely. As well. And so you can see if you guys haven't read Batman year two, that one has a different villain. That's kind of, kind of similar to the phantasm, but different motivation completely uh, there in that one as well. I can't remember the name of the villain in Batman year two, but it's a, uh, Kind of connected to the Phantasm name as well. So, yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, and, yeah, Cardi Fields, look, I went to see Scott Pilgrim in a theater full of people, and they fucking loved it. I thought that was going to be a hit, too, and it was not. I'm uh, assuming you've done a top ten show on the movies that disappointed at the box office. Great films. You must have. Yeah, it's funny you say that. We did it months ago. We did ah. it months ago, just kind of randomly. I think it was Matt who mentioned it. Uh, for whatever. I think maybe we were talking about Scott Pilgrim. And then we just kind of talked about off air how it would be funny to talk about top 10 most disappointing experiences in a movie theater in terms of movies, not the actual experience of being in the theater. And yeah, we right. covered that. Uh, Justin Toto says, hi, John and Steve. So glad you guys decided to do this review in honor of Kevin Conroy's passing. 
It gave me an excuse to rewatch the movie on Blu-ray and remind myself why this movie is so damn good. Great job covering all the reasons why this movie works so well. Thank you, Justin. Thank you very much, and thanks for your support, as always. Yeah, always. Uh, Jake, the, Jake the Shake is in here. Jake the Shake says, uh, thank you for your intelligent and awesome podcast. You two are freaking great, and it's always wonderful to listen to you two. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for the, the very, very high praise. Yeah. That's and obviously, you must be intelligent enough to recognize our great intelligence. So that's good, too. <laughs> that's high praise. Uh, Mike Shea, Mr. Mike Shea is in here uh, uh, sending another uh, bit of support. Thank you, Mike. He says, what do you guys think of the creative choice to have Stacy Keach voice both the Phantasm and Andrea's father as a misdirect at the audience? Yeah, good question, Mike. What do you think about that, Steve? I think it's a great choice. I think it's really, really smart. I also think that uh, they probably didn't pay him extra. <laughs> no they never do oh my no. god the stories i know from people who do voiceover work on series because i'm always I, I remember when i was first starting out doing it i was go up to the ones who did it a lot and it'd be like hey can i how, how can you get me like a, a small part like is anyone to kind of you know help me out or get like uh talk to the casting director and he's like no, no no we're all getting paid to do nine characters on a series yeah. and i'm like what and it's the same amount oh yeah the same amount I'm like oh my god just so get paid for the day. Yeah, exactly. You paid for the day. And how many voice, however many voices you can do, we're going to use you doing however many voices you can do yep. in this situation for sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really smart choice as well because you're like, oh yeah. Oh, oh it's of course her dad. Somehow he lived. Um, and then when you realize it's actually her, you're just like, oh my God. And the fact that Joker figures it out first, I think is really great. Yeah. You know, that's, that's some funny stuff as well. Uh, overall so yeah um all right anything more we should hit on steve that we've missed out on uh, before we talk a little bit about kevin conroy as we wrap up the show no that was i was just going to ask you like what is it that you uh, in terms of as a voiceover artist yourself what yeah. is it about the quality of his voice that you think works so well for Batman? oh kevin's oh yeah. there's there is always just this warmth to the voice like other people are putting on the batman voice and Where's the drugs? You know, you see that, and there's, there's no negative at those live action actors, but there is just something about how Kevin's voice is just this extra shade or two above Bruce's voice. I, I, I make, I, how can I say, I compare it to like Clark putting on the glasses. Superman, not Superman, but somehow it works. And I yep. think with Kevin's voice, it's the same way. He just adjusts it a little bit. And it becomes the darker voice. I am the night. I am vengeance. And it's believable in where he does it. It is not overdone. It's not so completely different from his regular voice, which I think a lot of the live action Batmans suffer from when they do that. And I, and who knows the demands are there and it does work for some of them. It leads to ridicule for others, but I, I like that about um, uh, Kevin Conroy's performance. It is there. And there's a warmth of vulnerability, a true desire to um help these people or to teach these people to try to stop being villains you know and that's what's so great about mask of the phantasm steve because this is him realizing that andrea's pursuit of vengeance mirrors his pursuit of vengeance yeah. and so he must be a different batman going forward because of this experience so she's the reason that or one of the reasons he became batman but she's also the biggest reason why he becomes the better version of Batman that he was going to be had she not come back into his life. 
And I think that change in Conroy's voice is what you see in the Batman animated series and what have you in all those other uh, appearances that he did. But yeah, that's, just, that's the thing about his voice. Just about that moment. It, it's so painful for me in this weird way because it's so like him saying to her, you know, yeah. this is going to be bad for you. It's like, dude, like, look at yourself. This is yeah. your life. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it, it's such a difficult moment. I think your Clark Kent Superman metaphor is spot on the money, which is mm. that it's not that they're huge changes between the voices. No, they're real small. And I think the thing about all the voices that the live actor action actors do, mm. they're all fake. They're all yes, fake right. voice. Yes. yes, yes. They, so they go, I'm Batman. And that's like, this is the voice I use when I'm Batman. Yeah. And it's like, as opposed to his voice, it's his voice. Mm -hmm. It's not a fake voice. It is slightly, he's not pretending to be something that he's not. No. He right. is, that is his voice at this moment. And I think it, it, in particular in this movie, because you see him when he's so young and is genuinely vulnerable and is unsure, is that he's able to bring all those nuances, those really human nuances yeah. to the character that we we don't see batman being all that human otherwise you're right steve when he is proposing to her in that clumsy oh my awkward God. way it's so it's so fascinating to watch him almost become that scared teenager kid or scared young adult kid again um in a situation that overwhelms him you know he's kind of coward is brushing his hair back nervously he's just hands her the ring he gets down on knee and he's like i don't yeah i think you'll figure it out what i'm trying like he has no yep. real you know, for the the irony that Bruce is sleeping, or not sleeping, but the the irony is that all these young women want to sleep with Bruce Wayne, and he acts all smooth, but around someone he really loves, he reverts back to being that scared kid or whatever. And so that you catch him in that moment with Andre, and even as when she comes back into his life, there's still those moments of like the the, the animation they do with his face yeah. when he's trying to stop Andrea from pursuing the vengeance or Andrea for the, the vengeance. It's all over his face. The kind of uh, vulnerable love that he has for her and trying to stop her from going down this path because he cares about her so much. Even when he runs over to grab the thing that's glowing at the end, there's this kind of um, feeling that the, the Batman is experiencing some real emotions. Oh, yeah. Ask. yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that she comes back into his life, there it's not just that there is a you know a fork in the road before he becomes back yeah yeah there if she isn't the phantasm and what happens doesn't happen i think at that moment he's he's considering a different life path good point you know yeah yeah very good point yeah yeah well yeah maybe that's actually a really good point yeah another way to describe it, kevin's voice is that he puts the mask on his voice that's what it is he just mm. puts the mask on his voice and becomes that other thing that's really uh really fantastic and you know mark is just as equally great in doing oh, the yeah. joker he is unrecognizable at least with with conroy you can tell that he's just adjusting to a deeper right. place that's still real um hamill is in a, in a whole nother universe that doesn't feel similar to uh, his actual voice and it's incredible to see him do that you know so, so obviously you and I both love Heath Ledger's performance as the yeah. Joker. And I think basically in general, all the Jokers have been good, you know, but in my I mind, push back on the Jared Leto thing, but yes, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't have a problem with Jared Leto's performance. <laughs> I have a problem with the whole movie, okay. <laughs> I, I, everything else. Um, but what I will say is that yeah. Mark Hamill's Joker is the closest to the Joker 
uh, that I grew up with. One million percent. Yeah. One million percent. He is scary, like fucking scary when yeah. you watch him in this movie without even needing to be like throw like the way they do the animation right? he's like th- throws poor old Abe Vigoda, uh, oh the character God. there into the, the straps into the uh, whatever the roller car or roller coaster car and slams down the, the bars and they take he doesn't even get under the bars he sits on top of the bars as they go over to this place and then he talks to him in the way when he puts his hands on the Joker the red flash behind you oh, see yeah. that that's like the line being crossed where he could go really insane or go and kill. Um, and so you see the chilling moments that he has, but you also see how the Batman brings out Joker's vulnerable moments. Cause when he jumps on top of the rocket, as he's trying to take off on the, yeah. on the flying thing, or whatever Joker's like, what are you doing? You idiot. Yeah. What are you doing? He's all, he's legitimately scared that he's going to die here. Uh, with the everything blowing up around him, and the Batman is the one that causes all of that to happen. So you see that change in uh, Hamill's performance as well that I think so, works so well for that Joker because for all his looniness, he does want to stay alive. That's the number one thing for him. You know? Yeah, I I didn't know it at the time, but when I was reading comic books with Joker in the yeah. '80s, the yeah. voice I was hearing in my head was Mark Hamill's voice. Yeah, right. you know what oh, I mean. That's what I and I'm not making a joke. That's not a joke. That's like. That's how I thought the Joker should sound. He is yeah. the perfect embodiment of what I pictured. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but by the way, I, I I just did the tiniest bit of research, but I had no idea that uh, Kevin Conroy's roommate at Juilliard was Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Is that that means he was there at that time with Christopher Reeve? I think William Hurt's there at the same time. Right. And I think about like, and and I was I, I looked up you know pictures of him when he was young and he was on soap operas and doing theater and stuff like that a really good looking guy oh yeah and i went what must it have been like to be the peer of these actors that became big stars right you know and that he didn't have that career he had a great career but it wasn't that one you know he had a different one and it may may have been that you know people just didn't want to cast him too much in live action stuff and voiceover is where he really found his calling and certainly became legendary for that and had a wonderful life Uh, well sorry had a wonderful existence as batman bruce I and mean, i don't know what his life was like personally but it, yeah. in terms of the success of it yeah i mean it leaves a leaves an indelible mark ironically christopher even batman in the same class yeah. ironically yep. uh at juilliard you know fascinating to consider for sure and there was probably a joke a robin williams joker conversation that happened probably high up at warner brothers at one <laughs> 90s i'm sure because that or a Riddler conversation with him, because that would have been very I'm sure. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, all right. Well, there you go. I think we've talked and reviewed and gone over this film really well and, and explored all the nook and crannies and the meanings and the symbolism and the themes, along with the voiceover work and the technical work being done here. Shout out to all the production team that was involved with creating this thing. Eight months from beginning to end to post through post-production. That's incredible. So if any of them possibly tumble, stumble upon this show, we both send you our love for an incredible job you all did to bring this thing out. And nothing speaks more about how incredible your work is that people are still talking about it almost three decades later. And that's, that's a, a great calling card for your career and your life for sure. Um, Steve, any final words here uh, as we wrap up? And uh, what do we have to tell them as uh, Cinephiles listeners and fans? 
Well, my final words is that I'm really glad we did this film, both to honor Kevin Conroy and because it gave me a chance to revisit a movie that I really didn't remember. And it is really tight, really, really well done, genuinely moving, and adds depth to this character that's been around forever and has had thousands and thousands of stories about. Yeah. There's new aspects to him that are revealed in this film. I think that's great. Um, as far as the cinephiles, um, I think, you know, we did something last month which was our very first watch along, which was to Air Force One. And if yeah. you are on Patreon, you could listen to us watching that film and watch it along with us. Well, guess what? We're doing another watch along. I think we're scheduling to record this coming week. Yeah. And do you mind, John, if I tell them what that watch along is going to be? tell them. We are going back to the 30s Who? to watch along the original King Kong. Yes. Um, and I'm really excited. I haven't seen it in a long time. It is obviously a seminal and important movie. It's one of the those movies that will make you cry for a big, huge, <laughs> you know, not animatronic stop motion gorilla. I mean, I'm looking really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, a lot of people have asked us over the years to talk about King Kong, and we thought, what well, better way to do it than to do it uh, as a commentary track? So we will be watching King Kong together and uh, giving our thoughts as the movie goes along. Uh, we'll probably both do a little bit of research, so we'll have some tidbits, uh, some pop-up videos, so to speak, for lack of a better term, uh, for the uh, film itself. So uh, if you're a patron, you get those as part. Of, I think it's $10 above, right, Steve, that gets the, the, uh, the, yeah. the watch-alongs? So if you're a $10 above patron, you get these watch-alongs. These are now going to be more consistent. Every month you will get a watch-along from us for sure. And so uh, we are looking forward to doing that with you all and for you all for sure. And we've got other movies in the hopper that we are kicking around Oh, for yeah. the next few months as well, I think are going to be a lot of fun uh, for sure. Uh, and if they wanted to follow the show, did we already tell them that? Uh, they didn't, but it's sin underscore files on Twitter. As long as there's a Twitter and sin files yeah. podcast on Instagram. <laughs> and of course, uh, if you have, you I hope you've subscribed and liked this video here on YouTube. And if you want to listen to the podcast version version, you can subscribe to it. All the podcast places, Apple podcasts, where we'd love your reviews. And of course, Spotify or Stitcher, or any of those other places were there too. And you can buy or stream. Batman Mask of the Phantasm through cinephiles.net along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. I hope there's a 4K coming at some point. If it has, oh, it'd be great. Well, it'd be great to see. And as far as the patron, as we mentioned, if you are not a patron, if you're stumbled upon this and you're enjoying this conversation and you want to support everything we've got going on, head on over to patreon.com slash the cinephile so you can enjoy that. And also consider jumping up a tier to keep supporting everything we're doing because we got so much coming for people in the upper tiers as well that we're going to do extra for you all to kind of make sure you're getting the bang most bang for your buck so to speak so uh as for steve you can follow him at sr morris uh and what one at one sr morris on instagram is that right steve? just sr morris it's, it's just sr morris all right there you go and as for me you can follow me at the roca says on twitter instagram and tiktok don't forget to subscribe to the cinephiles youtube channel right now down there below and hit that bell button so you see when we're dropping all of these uh, all the content that we do here on uh, the cinephiles youtube channel as well all right y'all take care of yourselves be well hope you all had a wonderful thanksgiving and uh we will see you next time for another brand new episode of the cinephiles live peace and nothing but love for kevin conray and all he left us with uh with his legacy take care
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.